This morning's reading is from Exodus chapter 40, verses 17 to 38. And that can be found on page 100 of the Church Bibles. Exodus chapter 40, starting at verse 17. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month in the second year. When Moses set up the tabernacle, he put the bases in place, erected the frames, inserted the crossbars, and set up the posts. Then he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering over the tent, as the Lord commanded him. He took the tablets of the covenant law and placed them in the ark, attached the poles to the ark and put the atonement cover over it. Then he brought the ark into the tabernacle and hung the shielding curtain and shielded the ark of the covenant law as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the table in the tent of the meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the curtain and set out the bread on it before the Lord, as the Lord commanded him. He placed the lampstand in the tent of meeting, opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle, and set up the lamps before the Lord, as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the gold altar in the tent of meeting, in front of the curtain, and burned fragrant incense on it, as the Lord commanded him. Then he put up the curtain at the entrance of the tabernacle. He set the altar of burnt offering near the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and offered on it burnt offerings and grain offerings, as the Lord commanded him. He placed the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. And Moses and Aaron and his sons used it to wash their hands and feet. They washed whenever they entered the tent of meeting or approached the altar, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites, during all their travels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. Nice to see some, I use the phrase very loosely, old faces. Nice to see you all. Um, I actually do see a, a number of Emmanuel folk on a Wednesday morning. We play, play tennis together at the uh, 
Methodist tennis club in uh, Manor Drive. And it's quite interesting because some of our games go on for quite a long time. It's not because of the quality of the tennis, it's because half the time we have to can't remember what the score is. <laughs> anyway, that was tennis. Here we are at Emmanuel. I've been asked to speak. And uh, just another little story I love that I like about a guest speaker. I think he was a, a curate who was preaching for the first time to his, to, to his new congregation. And at the end of the, uh, the talk, he says to the, um, to the vicar, well, you know, how was it? Was it okay? And uh, the vicar sort of closed his eyes and looked up and said, yes, it really might reminded me of God's love and God's peace. God's love that goes on forever. <laughs> and God's peace that passeth all understanding. <laughs> So let's pray this morning that you might not feel the same at the end. Um, Father, we just thank you so much that you speak, that you speak into our lives, and that you want to speak into our lives this morning. So Father, pray you would speak to me, speak to each one of us. Lord, you know where we are before you, what's going through our minds right now. But Father, we pray you would just make us aware of you. And as the Israelites put you at the very centre in the tabernacle, Father, we pray we might do that as we listen to your word this morning. So, Father, speak, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry, I've got a rotten cold, so it's a bit husky. Jill will remind me from time to time if I'm, my voice is dropping, won't you, dear? Jill was known in it at... Uh, Christchurch one week while I'm preaching, say, can you speak up, Keith, please? So I'll try and deliver as loudly as I can. I wonder if there are any television programs that you really get fed up with. I'm sure there are. One of my favourite detestable ones, which has been running now for 23 years, is Grand Designs. I'm sure most of you know this guy, Kevin MacLeod. He... Um, He's, I think, an architect initially is into a big property sort of empire now. But uh, he, he gets people to approach Channel 4 with a, a scheme they've got to build a house with a grand design. Sometimes it's uh, converting a house they've already got. Sometimes it's buying a plot of land and building this massive thing. And these stories are horrific. They cost a fortune. Sometimes they end in divorce. Sometimes they end in nervous breakdown. And you do wonder why they do it. And in fact, Kevin McLeod was interviewed at one stage and he said he wondered why they did it. So it's quite an interesting, irritating programme. There is a lead in here. Can I have the first slide, please? I think the tabernacle, let's remember, is God's great design. Every time after time is as the Lord commanded Moses. God's grand design. So we're going to look this morning at six chapters. I work out that normally your preachers preach for about 30, 35 minutes. So I've worked out you might be in here for quite a long time this morning. Six chapters. But as we were involved, Jill and I were involved for many years in Explorers... Uh, at Christchurch for 35 years, uh, which is sort of 6 to 11s. And uh, we try and make it fairly bright, fairly punchy, not too long, and not too boring. 
I always find it difficult when you're speaking when people look at their watch from time to time. More disconcerting is when people look at their watch and shake it. Um, <laughs> so let's look at God's grand design. I appreciate and apologise. You've obviously been looking at this, the book of Exodus for quite a few weeks. So there's a, lot, a bit of repetition here of what you might have already heard, but I hope I haven't overdone that. This, these six chapters bring to the end the story of Exodus. It starts in Egypt with their groaning. It finishes on Mount Sinai, or near Mount Sinai, with God's glory. It tells their rescue from Egypt, the giving of the law, people under grace, not law. Remember when God gave the law, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And then he outlines the Ten Commandments. I've rescued you, your rescuer now live like this. Law says, do this and I'll bless you. Grace says, I have blessed you, therefore do this. There's quite a subtle difference. So they receive God's instructions, how to live the life of the rescued. And he provides for them materially with manna and quail. And then in chapter 25, God says to Moses, have them, have these people make me a sanctuary, a holy place, and I will dwell among them. 25-22, there between the two cherubims that are over the ark, I will meet with you and give you all my commands. 25-9, make this tabernacle exactly like the pattern I will show you. So through chapters 25 to 31, God reveals the plan of the tabernacle, his grand design for these people. And the key word in the opening chapters there, 25-31, is make, make this, make that, make this, make that, all the way through, make. And meanwhile... We read in chapters 32 to 34, meanwhile, the people are also saying, make. But whereas God is saying to Moses, make, the people are saying, make us. We want to have a God. Make us gods. And the story of the golden calf. We read then of God's anger, God's revelation of, his, of himself, and then his compassion. I will have mercy and compassion. He restores the relationship between God and his people. A new covenant, a new agreement, the Ten Commandments. So rough summary of where we're up to. And we start now in Exodus 35. You won't... We are looking at lots and lots of verses. It may be best just to take my word for these are the texts, okay, because otherwise you'll be flipping through the pages all over the place. But let's begin with 35.1. These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. First thing that Moses says to the people, assemble the people together. The six days work is to be done. But the seventh day shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath rest to the Lord. 
Whoever does any work on it is to be put to death. That's the first thing that he says. Now, when Moses spoke, uh, when God spoke to Moses on the mountain, the last thing that he said to Moses was exactly the same. So why was it that Moses said to the people that first? It may have been perhaps the threat of death, I'm not sure. But just a little aside, isn't it? This place of the Sabbath. Place of the Sabbath. So let's see if we have the next slide, please. And the next, sorry. So we begin with this period shows such a response from the people. Set aside this day, set aside time for me before anything else. The second thing then he says is... Take an offering. From what you have, bring me an offering. He says to others in verse 10, all who are skilled among you are to come and make. So an appeal for people to bring things, an appeal for people to take and make things. It's quite interesting that Moses actually spoke, uh, God spoke to Moses in the mountain and pinpointed two particular people that were specifically gifted. Isn't that amazing that he knew the gifted people? Isn't that amazing that he knows all about us? He knows our gifts, our talents, who we are that well. So we read then in verse 20 that the people withdrew. They got the instructions. If you've got skills, come and make. If you've got something to give, come and bring it. And we read in verse that people were willing, that people had their hearts moved, and the response was tremendous. And by the 36, 6, chapter 36, verse 6, no woman or man is to make, bring anything else as an offering. They have had more than enough. Wonder if Andy Whelan feels that sometimes. Wonder if our treasurer at Christchurch <laughs> feels that sometimes. More than enough. Don't give us any more. We've got more than enough. Remember, there are two million of them. Remember, they were prospered in Egypt. Remember that the Egyptians thought quite well of them. And actually, as they left, gave them things. So an amazing, amazing response. It's an amazing movement of God amongst his people. Over one tonne of gold. Over three and a half tons of silver, giving their time, giving their talents, dedication, enthusiasm, absolute precision in the work they did. Interesting little aside. Isn't it funny how sometimes a word strikes you in scripture? When they were talking about make us gods, make us a golden calf, it says in 32.3, all the people took off their earrings. And now, as people are asked to offer things for the tabernacle, people offered all kinds of, of brooches and earrings. I don't wear earrings. But isn't it interesting how sometimes God just transforms our giving? 
We want to take our treasure and have it for ourselves to make us a golden calf. Or sometimes we are moved the other way and we give of our treasures. Treasures for us, treasures for him. So an amazing, amazing response. Why? Why did they respond like that? Possibly they were looking back, thinking about what God had done for them, rescued them from Egypt, given them the Ten Commandments, given them manna. Or perhaps they were looking forward and thinking about the fact that God has said, I will meet with you in this building. Forwards and back. Perhaps we have to do that as well. Look back to what Christ has done. Look forward to what he promises. So such a response. Next slide, please. Such an importance. The gifts have come in. And we read over chapters 36 to 39 of what they did with the gifts. And whereas in the opening chapters is God says, make, 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 we now read all the words are, the people made, made, made. So it's 37.1, they made the ark. 37.6, they made the atonement cover. 37.25, the altar of incense. 37.10, the table. 37.17, the lampstand. 36 verse 8, the tabernacle. 38.1, the altar of blessing. 38.9, the courtyard. 39, the priest's garments. And 38.8, the basin for washing. Why is it so important that they made those things exactly as God commanded? It's interesting that the Bible devotes two days, uh, two chapters to the creation of the world. And yet he devotes half the book of Exodus to the creation of the tabernacle. Tabernacle is mentioned in 50 chapters throughout scripture. There are 400 mentions of this scripture and its furniture. Why is it so important that the end of, the, of it being made, end of verse, uh, chapter 39, Moses inspected the work and saw that they had done it just as the Lord had commanded. So Moses bless them. God's plan, God's great design, made by God's people to God's specification, Moses blesses the people. Why is it just so, so important? So I just wonder if we walk through that tabernacle. I want to thank Jen, if Jen's here somewhere. Is Jen here? I can't see Jen. Yes, But her illustration, you might not be able to see it well there, but there is the altar of burnt offering, right, as you go into the courtyard. This whole area is about the size of an Olympic swimming pool. And the first thing you do as you go through the opening doorway is this altar of burnt offering. And all day, virtually every day, it is smoking. Burning flesh, sacrificed animals. Not a great low emission zone there. 
We then move on to the next thing, a basin for washing, an agent for cleansing. We move into the holy place, the table of incense, picture of place of prayer, table with the showbread, reminding them of God's provision, the lampstand, the light, picture of God's guidance. Through the veil, we move into the holy of holies, the tablets have been put into the ark, the tablets with the commandments. There's a sample piece of manna. There's Aaron's staff there. And it's carried into the Holy of Holies. It's the first thing that Moses puts in. And over the top of it, the only thing that's solid gold is the atonement cover. It's the place where God will meet with his people. And God later revealed in Leviticus, as he gave out the instructions to the Levites, the purpose of that meeting place. That once a year, between the cherubims, cherubims with their wings up and their faces down, the high priest will come in and he will drop drops of blood onto that atonement plate table. Sacrifice blood of a bull, representing his sins. Sacrifice blood of the goats for the nation's sins. A place of propitiation, of atonement, at one A place where God's wrath is removed by the offering of a gift. That's why it's important. It's where a God of mercy meets a people in need of mercy. A moment of Restored relationship, grace and mercy. Grace, God giving us things that we don't deserve. Mercy, not giving us something that we do deserve. So all these symbols. He wants his people to be holy, to be clean, to be cleansed, with him at the very centre. And so it's assembled, it's completed as the Lord commanded Moses. And God fills the place with his glory. 500 years later, Solomon builds the temple and they put the ark in the temple. The temple's completed and the same thing happens. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple and the priests could not perform because the cloud of the glory of the Lord filled the temple. An amazing, amazing place. And it's all happened within a year. You know what happened as... God said right at the beginning on, in chapter 40, he says, on the first day of the first month. He said, don't do it when you, I know it's done, but don't do it until I say the first day of the first month. What was so significant about the first day of the first month? Because this is a year from what something else had happened on the first day of the first month. And what had happened? God had outlined his plan to rescue them from Egypt. Sacrifice a lamb. 
put the blood on the doorpost and God's will go pass over you. So a year after that, he says now, build the tabernacle, construct the tabernacle. That's why it's important. So important. God's glory filled it. God's great plan that a God of mercy meets a people needing mercy. Final slide, please. That's a nice word for a preacher, isn't it? Final. We must be pleased already. Such a relevance. So we moved from Sinai 3,000 years ago to Tolworth in 2023. And I must say, I gave these uh, headings to Colin. Thank you very much for doing the slides some, some days ago. And I thought I was knew where I was going, but goodness, I've had a nightmare the last few days thinking about this last little bit. Such a relevance. This God plan, this grand design, this man-made courtyard and tabernacle. But it's not just a history lesson. And so my thoughts went back to that beginning. Make them a sanctuary and I will dwell among them. That's relevant. God's grand design to dwell among us. How does he do that? How does he dwell among us? When we were explorers, we quite often have questions and answer sessions. And invariably, one of the questions, or more often than not, one of the questions, the main question, the answer was always Jesus. And it's a bit like that here, isn't it? How does he dwell among us? John chapter 1, verse 14. The word, Christ, became flesh made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. Christ dwells among us. But more than that, John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Interesting that word where it says that we have seen his glory, where we've seen the word became flesh and made his dwelling. You could translate that word tabernacled. The word tabernacled among us. It's almost as if the tabernacle is coming around us and within us as we receive Christ. The glorious Jesus among us as his spirit dwells within us. How does he do that? How does he do that? We remember the Day of Atonement? Year after year, the priests would go in. The sins of the people were covered. Not removed, covered. But what about Jesus? Great, if you've got time this afternoon, read Hebrews chapters 9 and 10. Great about this heavenly tabernacle. Day after day, 
Hebrews 10, verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. And that was the picture in the tabernacle, wasn't it? Day by day, around that altar of, of burnt offering, stench as animals were sacrificed, as people repented. And then once a year, just in the Holy of Holies. But when this priest, back to Hebrews, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Look at the contrast there. The priests, day after day, Jesus once and for all. The priest stands comes back and stands again and again and again. Jesus, once and for all, sits down, finished. He dwells among us because of that day of atonement. We call it Good Friday. An act of atonement, at-one-ment, an act of propitiation, the removal of God's wrath by the offering of a gift, his blood. Animals' blood did not do that. Jesus' blood did. The long term is a substitutionary satisfaction. Jesus, our substitute, satisfying his father. And what happened to the veil in the temple that day? As Jesus hung on the cross, what happened? The veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Access. For centuries, nobody else could go through that veil except the high priest. Jesus opens the way. We have access to the Father. That's why it's relevant. God's grand design. God's son dying. God's son rising to life. God's son indwelling his people, indwelling you, indwelling me. That's why it's relevant. So that ark they looked at, the priests looked at, representing the very presence of of God, the very centre of his dwelling place. And so I close with that thought of, do you know that indwelling Christ? Do I? Is he the centre of everything for me? Am I giving my earrings? Well, I've got earrings. Am I giving my earrings for make us? Or am I giving my earrings for him? Is he the centre? You've heard all this before. And I was thinking, I was saying to Jill this morning, you know, we hear this so often, you always know what the preacher's going to say sometimes. But maybe that God just ignites that thought again this morning in you, in me. Is he really the centre? Is he dwelling in your home? Is he in the lounge? Or is he in the spare bedroom, locked away? Do we perhaps need to cleanse? Do I need to cleanse his dwelling place? 
I'm just amazed in Exodus, the obedience of these, these people. Challenges my obedience sometimes, my offering of, to him. Jesus said, blessed in the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I heard this talked about by an American pastor whose ministry was failing. And partly because he was getting into, he was hooked on, on pornography. And then God showed him this verse. Isn't it marked how God <clears throat> breaks into our lives sometimes? He, said, he saw this verse and said, the pure in heart will see God. He turned off the pornography. He had a new vision of Jesus. His ministry was restored. God's great design. God's great design. He wants us to see him. He wants us to be pure. He enables us to be pure by that grand atonement. Let's just be quiet before him. Just have that picture of the enormous difference between the grandeur of the Holy of Holies. Everything gold and shining bright and brilliant. And then you see the contrast of a wooden cross, a blood splattered cross. It's what Jesus did for us for me he's not wrapping our knuckles he's just saying this is how much I love you put me at the centre it's the very very best place so perhaps just be quiet before him for a moment perhaps say sorry perhaps say thank you perhaps say help me perhaps show me Let's pray. Father, the high priests went into the Holy of Holies once a year, year in, year out. Same message, same action. And Father, what we've perhaps been thinking about this morning, we've heard this time and time again. Lord, your desire for us but Father, I pray, pray this morning that you might again, although it's so familiar, Lord, you might just break into our hearts. Break those things that take us away from you. Break those things that put us first rather than you. And have us a vision of how much more you want to give us. How much more you want to bless us. How much more you want to use us. If only we put our earrings and offer them to you, rather than holding on to ourselves. Oh, Father.
you don't want to tell us off. You just want to see this is so much better, Father. Oh, Father, help us to see that. Father, bless you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.